Off the ball's the best, number one. It's the GOAT of sports apps. Talk about the greatest of all time. Big Joe's the greatest of all time. He's the GOAT. We know it. <laughs> I, I'm going to say right. I'm the Djokovic of this scenario. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Download the OTB Sports app now. Now, you're very welcome back. So yesterday in The Athletic, an article was published, the headline of which said, Abusive and belittling or a woman being direct? Vera Pau at the Houston Dash. And it has reopened a conversation which uh, started here in December about Vera Pau and her conduct at Houston. I'm very happy to say the two journalists behind this piece in The Athletic have made time to join us this evening. Sarah Shepard is with us on the line. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Joe. Thanks for having us. No, thank you very much. And Steph Yang as well. Hi, Steph. Hello from the United States. Great to have you with us. So I'm sure a huge amount of work went into this uh, piece, Sarah. You might just give us a sense of how it came about, because I, I've seen, for instance, the point being made on uh, Twitter that, oh, is there a degree of opportunism here right on the eve of a World Cup? Am I right in saying that Vera Powell actually approached the Athletic and asked for a look into how not players can be protected by coaches or from coaches but coaches could be protected from players is, is that was that what instigated your uh, work on this piece Sarah? Yeah exactly um, it wasn't something that was on our agenda or on our scheduling or in our thinking at all um, I actually I got in touch with Vera in April sending her a survey that we are doing um, into women's football and obviously her having been involved in the game for such a long time I thought it would be useful to get her thoughts and she um, filled out the survey and she replied and she said that's you know, that's what she said to me you know when do you start thinking about the double standards and protecting coaches from players as well as players from coaches? And obviously that sparked a conversation between the two of us. And I said, would you be interested in doing an interview about this? And she was, she was keen. Um, I then did not want to do that interview without obviously revisiting what happened in Houston, because I thought it was important to be um, fully up to speed on that. And, um, then obviously looped in with my colleague um, Steph, who's in the States and is, is obviously much closer to that situation than I am. And and, and then the, the ball really got rolling from there. So it was, yeah, very unusual, I suppose, the way it happened um, and, and sparked by... Vera coming to us initially, yeah. Yes, and as the um, the reason I read out the headline of your piece, Steph, is that it makes it pretty clear from the off that this piece doesn't re- reach a hard and clear verdict. It presents uh, views from players and coaches and uh, Vera's response. Uh, Vera Pound, the Irish media, and it seems uh, with yourselves as well, has been very keen to clear her name, to deny all the allegations, to engage with the media in a very strong way. So it sounds like she did that in this instance too. Well, I would say anyone reading the piece, I think we laid it out pretty factually. We talked to seven former staff and players in Houston. Obviously, Vera has her side. She strongly denied that, uh, denied the allegations, and we, you know, published her her comments as well. I would just encourage people to read it, and you know. Um, this is something we've been dealing with in the United States for a while, and it's a question that has come up in these investigations as well. Is you know, well, are there two sides to the story? 
technically yes there are two sides of the story but i encourage people reading it to think about what do these people have to gain by coming forward all these years after the fact some of them are not in soccer anymore some of them are there are many different stages of life um they're both on the staff and on the player side and as we've seen people are now questioning you know their their motives obviously they're anonymous but there's so little reward in coming forward um, and everything to lose in, in doing so, in my opinion. So, yes, I think that we had to lay out that there were two perceptions mm-hmm. of what happened. Um, but, you know, I, I, I do think that, that that background context is important to consider when thinking about why people would want to come forward. Well on that issue and I can't speak for those players or those coaches who have come forward Vera Pau in the piece said it was the players who created a hostile environment for her and that these claims are the result of quote an agenda from a small group so she says they have an agenda Sarah could I ask you the seven uh, players staff that you spoke to um, I just on, on the methodology, because it's it's maybe important. For instance, uh, and you mention it in your piece, and I, like it's a very fair piece. You give all the angles right the way through. You do note, for instance, that Pau has statements and provided statements from twelve former players and assistants across her time in Scotland, the Netherlands, South Africa, and Houston, all supporting her work. And two of those statements were from former Dash players, and they were seen by the Athletic, and they had comments such as you really care about individuals and that's more than I've had in a coach in a long time. So I suppose in, in terms of, of the pair of you having to decide what's fair, you have four players, three coaches, generally very, very negative about Pau and she's provided 12 statements and there's that brief quote there. Uh, did you try and speak to every player from 2018 in Houston? Because you might have four players, three coaches who were unhappy, and I'm not saying there's not a validity to what they have to say, but you could have 25 on the other side of the ledger who are of a similar mindset to the person who said you really care about individuals, and that's more than I've had in a coach in a very long time. Did, did you try and speak to everyone or, uh, and, and give us a sense of the methodology maybe as, as to how you arrive at these seven? Because they obviously have a big weighting in this piece. Sure. Um I mean, it, it was. I mean, it was Steph who who approached okay. the players, but um, you can you can take it, Steph, if you want, if that makes more sense. If it if it was you who tried to source the players, Steph, by all means. Sure. Yes, I spoke to players, and then, as is often the case in investigations like these, people are very hesitant to speak. They don't know you. They don't know your motivations. Um, so you you talk to one person and then you say can i speak to somebody else and then you know you you hear oh this person might be willing to speak to you that sort of you kind of follow a chain from one or two initial people who are willing to speak and then they vouch for you and say like yes i spoke to this person and she didn't burn me so you know she's not gonna blast your identity uh for everybody to see um it's not possible to speak to everybody um for example one of the players who was spoken about by her teammates is not in a position to receive questions about what went on just due to her own mental health and her emotional well-being. Um, it was advised, you know, several times, like, do not contact this player about this topic because it will create, you know, a, a setback 
in her ongoing recovery from what happened during that time period, whether or not it was related to Vera. Um, so that sort of thing, you do, you talk to as many people as you can in the time limit that you have. Yeah. This is obviously something we didn't want going on during the World Cup just for the players' sake. You know, we wanted to wrap it up in time for people to at least have some time to process before they're, you know, in um, in country and preparing for the tournament. And I, you know, the, when we're trying to weigh testimonies against each other, I don't think it's helpful to consider it in terms of sheer numbers because let's suppose, you know, a coach treated 99 people well, but treated one person like absolute you know, I don't know if I'm allowed to use a swear yes. on this show. Yeah, so I'll yeah, just, no, I take the you know, point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, is that okay? If they, you know, treat 99 people well, but they treat one person so badly that this person has, you know, emotional breakdown. I think it's not necessarily helpful to like weigh numbers that way, but to consider like what harm was caused. I think, I think the piece does also make clear that it wasn't, it wasn't a complete, you know, hundred percent of the players, were against her. The piece does make clear that there were players who who did get on with her. Um, Janine Van Wyck, who came out last year in, in full support of, of Vera Powell, is obviously one of those. Yeah. Um, so it, you know, it wasn't a situation where the whole team was um, was feeling the same way. Yes, I take that point absolutely, and I'm not here to criticise the piece, and I most certainly wasn't in that Houston dressing room. I suppose I'm just curious journalist to journalist uh, for instance did you consider it was worth giving an eighth or ninth player who is pro pow more time in the piece to give their perspective on certain instances because i suppose my frustration as a reader is that we have i suppose a theme throughout the piece of one of the staff or one of the players saying this happened and we have vera pow saying it absolutely did not happen and it's it's a fairly regular occurrence throughout the piece, um, and I, I suppose you're just crying out for some kind of arbiter or somebody to say, well, you know, I'm somewhere in the middle. I thought she was okay. Here's here's what I made of that. We we don't quite get that. Hence, I think it might have been interesting to have another couple of players who who maybe were pro pow to give their perspective on what some of the complainants were talking about. Because I think there probably is a degree of if you speak to the initial person and they have a an, a grievance with pow, then if they're more likely to recommend somebody else who also had a grievance but I take your point Steph 99% does that mean we forget about the 1% it doesn't I suppose I'm just struggling to get the the overall picture in that dressing room when it came to their sense of pow because you you know you, you, I, yeah, yeah I, I think when I spoke to all seven there was a pretty unified sense of what had happened not that they all said the same thing but the things they all said resonated in the in the same way and obviously we didn't you know include anything that hadn't been corroborated by more than one source yeah and these are people who haven't seen each other or spoken to each other sometimes in in years Mm. and so when i contacted them some of them out of the blue you know and they and they spoke to me i think that that is instructive to say that you know, at least two or more people uh, perceived the situation the same way or when they, obviously memory's fuzzy. That did come up where this is 2018 we're talking about. And so, you know, we were very encouraging, or at least I was very encouraging to say, if you don't recall correctly, or like, if you can't recall clearly, I want you to say that because I think it's really important to not get into fuzzy areas. Like be very honest about what you can and can't recall and what you do and don't have records about. Um, But 
yeah, we did, you know, corroborate things between sources yes. who, you know, had no reason to suspect if I was going to call them up and ruin, ruin their week, yeah. essentially. Okay. So look, that's enough on the methodology and you've explained how you went about it. And I, I think people uh, have a good sense of that. To maybe pick our way through some of the key points in the piece, it starts off, I, I suppose, again, by setting up this dichotomy, which I referenced. So, for instance, you've quotes from several of the players' coaches. I was miserable. Another year like that, I wouldn't be playing pro soccer. We were afraid of her. Somebody else said, everybody has their own coaching style. I get it. But it was, in my opinion, abusive and inappropriate, belittling and doing it in such a public manner. And right next to that, we have uh, Vera Pau saying it was the players who created a hostile environment for her. And these claims were the result of an agenda from a small group and she said as well I'm Dutch so I'm clear in what I want and I think the fact that I may be different that is what they have felt they are not used to women being direct so Sarah that's a kind of in overall terms that's that, that's a regular theme that I've outlined there throughout the piece yeah and that was very much um Vera's um you know Vera's feeling and that's very much still her feeling now um that a lot of these things wouldn't have been raised against her had she been a male coach um that was something that she repeated throughout the time that I spoke to her um she just couldn't understand how some of these things were even issues um and said that if she had been a male coach you know it wouldn't have been an issue at all um and that is something that she together with her attorney Thomas Newkirk um has been working um on perhaps bringing a case against the NWSL um, if the NWSL don't reopen the investigation because um, they believe it wasn't conducted uh, as well as it could be and that it was affected by uh, gender bias. Um, so that was very much her um, her feeling and in, in all of these situations, in many of the situations, not in all of them, she felt that um, she was basically called out because she was a, a woman, you know, a lot, of, a lot of these things were were only issues because she was a woman, and maybe she didn't behave in the way that some people expected her to behave as a woman. The issue of weight is a significant one, Steph. Uh, Vera Pau absolutely argues and, and defends herself that she should have a say in players' fitness. She's a coach. Uh, there's an account of one player in particular who lost weight and it was getting to the point of not healthy in the eyes of one player and she ended up quitting. Uh, Pau denies ever praising that player for her weight loss. Could you give us your sense of what was going on when it came to the weight of the players, Pau's interaction with the players and where that line is or where they think it was crossed? Pau herself references Pep Guardiola, for instance, talking very publicly about Calvin Phillips's weight. And, and, and the point being, it's absolutely something every coach in history is allowed to be a touch preoccupied with. So you might give us your sense um, from both sides there, if you could. Sure. My sense was that the players were really coming from a place of concern. Um, they were seeing their teammate develop, in their opinion, unhealthy habits around exercise and food that were unrelated to her performance on the field. Um, they, you know, saw that it was getting to what they perceived to be a almost dangerous level, um, where, you know, they were linking Vera, praising her, saying, "You look good." But this is a comment 
that they were hearing that was not related to her actual metrics on the field, which should be more about, you know, are you hitting certain targets passing or making runs in the right areas? And then, you know, there, there are general links, I guess, between weight and speed. Maybe if you're lighter, you accelerate faster, but there are you know, ways of talking to players about performance that don't focus so much on the body. This is something that we see, you know, she brings up Pep. I think it's important to note this happens in the men's game as well, where men develop issues around their bodies and how they look, um, you know, in the mirror, regardless of performance due to comments about, you know, weight or an approach that was taken that wasn't necessarily the right approach that links in the player's mind, you know, the right elements of what they need to be focusing on in order to improve their performance. Um, and I want to note, you know, this is something that other people in NWSL have been criticized for, including male coaches. Very publicly, there was a report done as a joint investigation between the league and the NWSL Players Association. It was run by a law firm Covington and Burling. And in that report, which is public, they do note that uh, Freed Benstiti, who was the coach of O.L. Rain over in Seattle, had also made comments about players' weights and food and telling them don't snack and that sort of thing. And this was something that he got in pretty serious trouble for and was let go by the club afterwards so you know i think it's a recurring problem i think if you talk to any coach who's been in the game for a while at almost any level they'll say yes this is something that we have to be aware of and how we approach players male or female in talking about their bodies yeah i mean i i think a lot of people i i don't know the instance by the way you're referring to but they ease off on the snacking line i i, I suspect a lot of people would look at a dressing room and say well a coach is perfectly entitled to say that and that sarah maybe raises this kind of strange dynamic with a, a locker room with it with a football dressing room i think generally hr rules don't apply and, and maybe you know this this is the beginnings of, of a HR uh, landscape getting involved in football dressing rooms because Pow in her conversation for the piece is adamant she's entitled to talk about their fitness but all she did was talk about their fitness and of course weight is fairly or otherwise it, it is a part of that yeah but that that's a, it raises really interesting questions about um, you know where the line is and yeah. also about the mental well-being of elite athletes maybe in the past we haven't considered that so much we've put um success we've put other things above the mental well-being of of top athletes and is that really the right thing to do um maybe maybe viewpoints need to change um there's a there is a really interesting piece to be done um and perhaps might be one of the follow-ups that we do uh looking at whether you do need to speak to female athletes differently than male athletes when it comes to issues around eating um because there are you know i've spoken to a few people about this psychologists especially and and there are very valid reasons for saying that yes in not in all cases you know that there are male players who will be on the same sort of spectrum but in many cases yes you do need to approach the topic differently with female players than male players it doesn't mean that you don't you don't approach it or that you ignore it because mm. like you said it's a, a valid kind of piece of, of coaching um 
is, is, is necessary for some coaches. Um, it just means you have to be more aware um, of how you're doing it and perhaps involve other people who are more expert in terms of like when you're actually doing it. Um, so it, it, it raises a lot of interesting questions that, you know, weren't, wasn't possible to answer within this piece, but obviously could yeah. be answered in follow-up pieces. Yeah, maybe we saw the conflict there borne out. I have to take apologies. I have to take a very short break, but if you don't mind, Sarah and Steph, we might just continue the conversation on the uh, far side. Sarah Shepard, Steph Yang with us talking about their piece in The Athletic on Vera Powell. Back in just one second. Now, you're very welcome back. We're continuing the conversation with Sarah Shepard and Steph Yang, who've written a piece in The Athletic about Vera Powell's time at Houston in 2018. Steph, an area which was teased out in the piece, which uh, wasn't as to the fore in December's report, was physical aggression. Uh, so, for instance, I'll just read from your piece. There were two instances when players claim Pau's behaviour turned physically aggressive. Several witnesses, both staff and players, say they saw Pau grab a staffer around the neck or collarbone area and shove her at halftime of an away game early in the season. Now, Pau denies this, refutes this. She says that two players were, quote, verbally exploding and a staff member wanted to intervene. And Pau says, I stopped her. I said, stop, sit down, calm down, everybody. She says, that's my job. I never pulled the collar. I maybe put a hand on the shoulder. It is absolutely untrue, absolutely untrue to say it in this way, the way that it was um, said initially. And then another example, for instance, uh, staffer A, who was in the locker room at the time said Pau saw a coach giving advice to another player and so the quote is she runs at her yanks her back tells her to shut up and says I'm the only coach of this team and Staff Ray says it was not like a friendly hand on the shoulder of this coach or a pat it was aggressive uh, said player C who also witnessed it it's a high intensity environment but Pau's touch was not just intensity it was aggression again Pau and I stress this in the most adamant terms I can uh, uh, give you, denies this, absolutely denies physical aggression. So she's never been aggressive, not even as a child, as a, a line uh, she, she uses. So again, Steph, we're, we're back from the reader's point of view to that unsatisfactory space whereby Pau is absolutely adamant and the account of the players and the coaches adamant as well. I think it's, you know, perfectly reasonable for Vera to completely believe the truth of what she's saying. I'm not going to say that she's lying because for her, this could absolutely be the truth to her of how she perceived the incident. I think that's actually pretty common when we think about, you know, legal testimony and things like that. People will testify to something that they saw and to them that is exactly how it played out. To them, they are objectively telling the truth of what they experienced. And I don't want to gainsay someone, someone's experience of a situation because it was their experience of the situation, right? Um, but we have corroborated testimony from others who saw it differently. and. You know, when you have multiple people saying the the same thing about how they saw an incident, maybe it varies in, you know, the intensity with which they regarded it. That does come back to everyone kind of interprets things, you know, a little bit through their own lens. So if people are used to a very intense and aggressive locker room because they've come from an aggressive program, maybe they look at that and they say, oh, it was pretty intense, but it was not aggressive. But someone who's come from a more 
a calm program or somewhere where you know maybe they had a, a, a vibe that was more soft-spoken or something they see that as very intense and aggressive again it was multiple sources corroborating you know a story between them and and seeing that she had you know placed saying alleging that she had placed a hand around you know the neck or the collar area and you know told the coach like you don't coach here i coach i'm the only coach i think that was also a pretty common thread that ran across multiple staffers and players staffers in different departments as well you know her insistence that nobody coached or gave instruction except her and that seemed to be that seemed to match up very well between multiple parties. Yes. Sarah, on uh, parking the physical aggression point, on the control point, I, it's funny, I, I, I suppose Alex Ferguson being the most uh, famous manager of the last uh, 30 years in this part of the world, if you ask Alex Ferguson what's the most important aspect of being a manager, in a one word he says every time, control. And Vera Pau is unashamed, I, I would say, is, is my reading in exerting total control over everything. She sees it as her job. I, I don't know if she should make apologies for wanting to be in total control of a team she's in charge of. Again, that's looking at it through her lens, but I do understand that lens. She she didn't actually, um, she, I mean, she denied some of that, some of the control issues, especially around um, you know, not letting, letting players visit the pool, etc. Yes. She said, she she denied some of that. Um, she said they're allowed to do what they like on you know weekends etc. She said with the Irish team you know their weekends are their own and when they're in camp and she she doesn't keep on top of what they're doing. Um, so she didn't totally kind of go along with that. Um, but in terms of some of the other things, yes, she did say you know it's my job as a coach to be across you know that they're getting enough food that they are um, fueling themselves correctly that they are not overtraining. Um, you know, she was, obviously she said she didn't want players doing extra because she felt what she was programming for them was enough. Mm. Um, and yeah, she sees that as as her role, as like you said, as many coaches would. Um, but there is there is this line that, you know, is very hard to, yeah. to say exactly what it is or where it is but there is a line and obviously some of these players felt that it went over that line and that they were being overly controlled and overly managed to the point where they didn't feel you know they could do things that they should be free to do as as adults um and so it it's very difficult we can't say <laughs> you know yeah. who's right and who's wrong it's, yeah. it's that was the player's perception um, whereas Vera's perception was that she was doing her job and, and that's what she does yes now I understand the difficulties uh, just a, a, a slightly surreal uh, moment in the midst of the piece that we should just touch on uh, briefly is that Vera Pau says she was on the receiving end of a death threat so she said she received a death threat and, and it's here where she's talking about her general unhappiness with the culture at times in Houston, a death threat from a member of staff who was angered by her decision, you write in the piece, to move training sessions from morning to the evening to avoid players training in the heat of the day. He threatened to shoot me in the head as I was taking his beer night away, said Pow. Now, Pow said she received police protection until that matter was resolved and you reached out to the former Houston Dash president, 
Chris Canetti and he replied by email and so he said the organisation took internal disciplinary actions and other steps to directly deal with the situation regarding an employee he said as well I am not aware of nor do not recall any external involvement in this situation. So am I right in characterising this situation as Vera Pau said she was given police protection, that the police deemed that serious and this situation serious enough to offer police protection, but in your correspondence with the former Houston Dash president, he has no memory of any external involvement in this situation whatsoever so no sense of the police being involved I, I, I don't know who wants to take that one I'm not sure who took that end of it but is, is that that's about where we are in that situation Sure I spoke to yeah. Chris so I'll talk about that which is yes that's a correct interpretation Chris as the president of the organization would certainly have been informed if his head coach needed to have some kind of protection whether it was police protection or you know a private security agency or something around her at all times uh, he confirmed that um, an employee had been essentially let go, but didn't comment on like a, a an employment situation for their own reasons, perhaps legal. Um, but yes, essentially saying and not recalling any external involvement in the situation, meaning he was not aware hmm. of some third party having to come in and, and act as you know protection or security detail. And Steph on. Uh, Chris Kennedy, the president or, or the management staff at large, what was their sense of what was going on in 2018? Were they aware of issues between Vera Pau and the players in real time? Is it subsequent to that? What is their perspective on this situation? Uh, yes, both Chris Kennedy and then Brian Ching, who was the managing, the general manager of the, uh, the team at the time, were both aware of, um, you know, having to at least facilitate conversations between Vera Powell and the players, um, you know, trying to, you know, smooth things over. I, I would say facilitate communication is probably the way that they would um, uh, frame it. So, yes. And then obviously Chris Kennedy told us and we included it in the article that um, to the best of his knowledge, of course, Vera was aware of, you know, not every player was happy with her during the season because he'd spoken to her about it. So, okay. Um, am I right? I, I'm presuming I may be wrong. Sarah, did you interview Vera Pau for the interview? Yes. Um, could you give us a sense of uh, her demeanor? Uh, anything that struck you in that conversation with her? I, I get the sense it was a lengthy one. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, I mean, we had uh, two conversations. The first one where I basically um, told her of, of what we'd found. Um, and in that conversation, she, I mean, throughout the whole thing, she was very calm, very composed. The first time I spoke to her, she sounded exasperated um, at the end of her tether with with it, I think um, that's fair to say. Mm. Um, the second time I spoke to her, which was for the, to go through the full right of reply, as we, as we term it, um, that was a two-hour long video call with her. Um, she There were times when she... Um, uh, not emotional, but you could see that it 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 did get it had got to her bits of it. Um, she had made notes on various parts because she because she said because it, I'm you know it's emotional, um, but you know she remained mainly very composed. Um, you know it's um, I I don't know if I in the same situation I would be as composed when 
obviously her job she might have felt that her job was on the line or or under threat um so she yeah she mostly remained very calm um I have had messages from her throughout this process. Um, some of them had not been quite as calm um, and, and kind of revealed that she obviously is um, angered by some of this. Um, but in the main, she when I spoke to her, to, to me personally, she, she was very, very composed. Okay. I mean, we can't go through every aspect of this piece. Ultimately, I would recommend people go onto The Athletic and read it. You've clearly all put a lot of work into it. But I mean, there's the very serious physical aggression point, Steph, and then there are times where, and again, I, your perspective on this would be very instructive, but it, to me, it, it almost feels, um, if innocuous isn't quite the right word, I'm looking for something in that vicinity, like there's a, a complaint from somebody that Pau would come into the locker room when the players were changing. Pau denies that. She says, I would always announce myself. She said quite a few of the players said to her, Vera, you're a woman, you don't need to announce yourself. And she did it anyway. And, and, and again, maybe because I'm more versed in traditional male dressing rooms in this part of the world, that wouldn't have occurred to me even as um, worthy of significant complaint or, or, or to fall under the heading of inappropriate. So that clearly players did have a problem with that and, and Pao, as I said, defended herself. Yeah, um, in NWSL, at least most of these players are accustomed to uh, a locker room situation where it's practice for the coach to knock and ask essentially everybody decent can i come in you know when players are changing or showering it's um it it becomes more of a private player only space as you could imagine and uh, a locker room is a place where i think players also kind of want to feel like they can emotionally decompress as well before and after a game and so you know, having your coach, your boss, your the person who controls your playing time and that sort of thing in and out of there felt intrusive or awkward. A lot of players phrased it as at the very least it was awkward. And yeah, they, they felt it, it was intrusive. And I think just because it might be considered a, a standard in one place, very clearly in this place, they felt it should not be the standard. And so when it deals with their autonomy and privacy and ability to feel like they're not being monitored, I mm. think that's a, a pretty fair request. That's one of the things that I think you've touched on here is, oh, that's a, a standard. I wouldn't have thought about that. Mm. But maybe the deeper question is, well, why was it the standard? Why didn't we think about that? Just because it's the way things have been done yes. doesn't mean that it's the right way to do things. Yes, no, I take that point entirely. I'm just curious uh, for your perspective, because it, it's something I've mentioned on the show earlier on as I, I think being troublesome. And I, again, I'd be curious for an outsider's view. In effect, what happened here in Ireland is the report was published in December and that same evening, within a couple of hours, the Football Association of Ireland issued a statement fully supportive of Vera Pau, had no reason to disbelieve her, said she had denied the allegations and it was very much full steam ahead to the World Cup. Um, it's been a similar reaction to your piece. As I understand it, I know Vera Pau had a conversation with the captain, Katie McCabe, to check, is well, is there anything I'm doing? And Katie said no. Uh, but in so much as I can ascertain, there was no 
third party conversation with all the players to check that they're happy with how things are being done there was no third party investigation it was just very much a case of Vera Powers denied these allegations and we press on uh, Steph what do you make of how the Football Association of Ireland have handled this case I think you have hit the nail on the head in that if there's no third party involvement, there is a a little asterisk on things. One thing that has come out in the multiple investigations that have gone on in the United States, at least in NWSL, is that a key recommendation is that there is a, a third party, some kind of neutral oversight body where players can anonymously report complaints because obviously in any workplace if your boss comes to you and says am i doing anything wrong yeah what are the odds you're gonna go well boss let me tell you about what you did you know that sort of thing um perhaps the players did feel comfortable and perhaps everything is very good in ireland camp i think it's instructive that national team camp is very different from a club situation you have your players in usually two three weeks at a time you know maybe it's more feasible to um, be oversee things in a more detailed way in that time frame as opposed to a club where every single day for a year you have to be hip deep in every single detail um so obviously we we can't see into the ireland camp and obviously it would be great if the players were happy and healthy and safe you want to wish that secretly behind the scenes you know things are awful um i'm hoping they have a fantastic world cup um so yeah i think that when i hear that there was no third party involvement it does signal a little like oh perhaps that's a process that the federation should look at not just for Vera, but in general for the long-term health of their own program. It doesn't just protect the players. If we're talking about protecting coaches, it protects you, you the coaches in the federation as well. Yes, I mean, a a third-party investigation, I'm sure Vera Pau would tell us would completely exonerate her and her work with Ireland. Sarah, your perspective on that point? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with Steph. Um, And... Uh, obviously the Irish FA are fully focused on what's coming up what's right around the corner and I I can understand from their point of view that they perhaps don't want they, they don't want to look that way right now they only want to look that way um, but you just worry or you we know we've seen various things play out in other sports in other situations where down the line that kind of attitude can come back to bite you on the proverbials so it's it's an understandable attitude but maybe a little bit of a short-sighted one yes um, and because um, I, I I know uh, I've seen the text messages I know there will be responses as, as a final thought as we try and kind of knit together this pretty complicated picture I know there will be a sense uh, from a lot of the Irish public well hang on here where's the smoking gun what is the issue this is a manager managing doing it in a very full-on way but i mean she has to be able to do her job and it's it's a it's a tough world and it's pro sport and what's more she denies the more serious end of the allegations and you know where where is the issue um and she is being vilified unfairly here by just a few voices and they're they're ringing very loudly and it's deeply affecting a coach's career um Steph, what's your response to to that sentiment, which I suspect is out there? Um, I would say first, I would ask people, how many voices does it take before something, you know, becomes in your mind serious or something? We see it a lot when it comes to other cases of 
for example, um, assault. I'm absolutely not yeah. saying that what she has done is comparable to that, but just in terms of, you know, when people uh, find that there's some kind of gray area or something, well, how many people does it take um, alleging that has harm has been done to them before, you know, it reaches some threshold where you think, okay, now it's it's serious and I should take it seriously. Is it one? Is it 10? Is it 100? Um, and then uh, another one that I think would say is, you know, the players aren't just alleging that Vera Powell, like, was a, a coach who liked to control every aspect of her team. I come back to one of the staffers saying that the level of involvement that she was trying to have here was untenable, at least at a club situation where the staffer was saying, you can't control every single thing for every single line on the field, the forwards, the midfielders, the defenders, and the goalkeepers, or you can't do it well and so i think that what they were trying to put across there is that it wasn't just control it was control to a degree where you know a lot of the things that they were alleging these are normally spread across four or five full-time jobs you have an assistant coach for a reason you have a sports scientist for a reason you have a head athletic trainer for a reason and i think the allegations were you know saying that it was just she was trying to do all these jobs and none of them were allowed essentially to do their their job on their own autonomously without going back through her and so how good a job can one person do really when they're trying to handle all these you know juggle all these plates in the air so that's kind of where i would want people to kind of maybe take that in and think about it and mull over you know, and then as the very last thing, something that you brought up again that we've talked about multiple times mm -hmm. is, um, you know, just because something's been done one way, yeah, is it the right way? No, I hear that. I mean, on the middle point, and I, I give you last word, Sarah, if that's okay, Steph. Sorry, I don't mean to not give you right a reply. I, again, bad at delegation, sure guilty of improper conduct is a whole other sphere and, and somebody's reputation is obviously one of the most important things they have at their disposal. So again, your, your response, Sarah, to people who will be critical of the article and feel, where is the smoking gun here? I think it's interesting that a lot of um, responses on Twitter have criticised the anonymity of the players and coaches that we spoke to. Yes. Um, because then you could say, well, they're sort of easily dismissed then if you're only talking about player A, staffer A. You know, you don't think about these these player A, staffer A as individuals and people with lives and thoughts and feelings, whereas Vera we have speaking from the heart, speaking passionately in her defence. So it's kind of interesting that people have criticised the piece for that, where actually it might have been a stronger case had we been able to name the players, had we been able to show you know what's how they feel really um and how you know this has impacted them um and how people's lives have been impacted um it's a much stronger case for them and you know if we could do that but obviously um for various reasons we couldn't name the players so it's yeah it, I, I can understand some people kind of dismissing it um because that's like the attitude in sport that we've seen a lot, you know, well, this is the, like Steph said, this is the way it's always been done and there's nothing wrong with it. It gets results. Well, actually, is that the most important thing or are people's, you know, mental health and well-being equally important and more important, you know, are we looking after these athletes as, as individuals? Um, and there were seven, seven people who, who said that that wasn't the case in Houston. 
Okay. Well, I thank you both very much for your time. It's much appreciated. Uh, the piece is on the Athletic website and uh, essential reading. Sarah Shepherd, Steph Yang. Uh, thank you both very much. Do appreciate it. Thanks, Joe. Thanks very much. Thanks again. Sarah Shepherd there, Steph Yang of The Athletic. And um, again, as I mentioned throughout the piece, Vera Powell very much uh, rejects, refutes, denies all of these allegations in the strongest possible terms and uh, is, as Sarah and Steph said, considering legal action against the uh, original report. So that all has to play out. All the ball's the best, number one. It's the GOAT of sports apps. Talk about the greatest of all time, Big Joe's the greatest of all time. He's the GOAT. We know it. <laughs> I, I'm going to say right. I'm the Djokovic of this scenario. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Download the OTB Sports app now.